thank you very much, Roger. Um, well, I was, I should know, I should have enough to fill an hour. Um, I'm basically going to talk about the results that are published uh, in the book, so it's a kind of uh, trailer. Um, but I'm, I'm going to focus on uh, the, um, the battle for the uh, black vote, partly following up um, some work that you may have seen uh, particularly highlighted in The Guardian uh, recently by an organization called Operation uh, Black Vote, who have been uh, arguing that uh, ethnic minority voters can uh, really can hold the balance of power uh, at the next election. So I'm, I'm really taking up uh, that theme. Uh, and, and the reason uh, why uh, that could well be the case is, as we know, minorities are growing percentage of the uh, population. And when I talk about ethnic minorities in Britain, I'm essentially, like, like actually most of the government um, uh, statistic, focusing on the, the non-white uh, uh, groups. So essentially, we, we've got, um, if, if we take the census classification, um, the white British category, then uh, white Irish and white other, which is a rapidly growing uh, group of uh, uh, Europeans. Um, but most of those don't uh, have, uh, aren't, aren't eligible to vote in the general election uh, unless they acquire uh, citizenship, which they tend not to uh, as yet. Um, and then we have the various uh, major uh, ethnic minority groups, uh, the non-white groups, uh, Indian, people of Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, uh, Caribbean, and African uh, background. And those are the groups I'm really talk uh, mainly talking about. And you can see in 2001, um, that was already 7%, uh, the, the non-white group, 7% of the uh, population in England and Wales aged over 18, or 18 and over, to be strict, um, rising to 12% uh, um, in the 19, uh, 2011 census. Um, and various people, uh, uh, including David Coleman, who's a demographer here at Oxford, have put forward uh, projections, um, and I've, there are quite a number of different projections making uh, different uh, assumptions. I've just taken a, a linear trend, which more or less uh, fits the um, is sort of the uh, average, and so we're suggesting 17% uh, in, um, in uh, 2021. But already, if we look at the um, um, uh, secondary school children, ethnic minority population is already 20%. So the, the figure is just bound to increase, and the, the only issue is really whether it's a linear um, trend or not. So Britain is becoming, in, in this sense, more and more multicultural, and that trend is going to continue. Um, that way. Okay. Um, and then this is really... Um, picking up on the uh, Operation Black Vote um, um, uh, argument. Um, so first of all, one needs to remember that there are issues about eligibility, so not all of the uh, non-white population will be eligible to vote because some of them won't be citizens. Um, but it's only a small proportion who are not, largely the most recent arrivals from uh, non-Commonwealth countries in Africa. But uh, common, uh, Commonwealth citizens which most people don't know, Commonwealth citizens are eligible to vote in British general elections, unlike EU citizens. Um, and so uh, OBV estimate that uh, for the next election, there'll be 168 marginal constituencies um, 
where the BME electorate is larger than the current MPs, uh, uh, sitting MPs majority. Um, of course, and the idea that all, uh, all of the BME electorate would shift en bloc from one party to another um, is highly unrealistic, but it gives you a uh, sense of the, um, the um, uh, electoral power which minorities uh, now have. Um, there is a major risk to Labour because Labour continue to get the lion's share of the minority vote, as they always have done. There's been very little change in that. We'll look at it later. Um, and therefore, it's a major opportunity for the um, Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives. So risk for Labour, opportunity for the other parties. Um, and essentially, what that... Oh, sorry, black, and it's just the, the, it, it's the, one of the many <laughs> sets of initials that different people use, black and minority ethnic. Sometimes you see B-A-M-E, um, black, Asian, and minority. Um, yeah, but essentially it, it's just another way of saying the uh, non-white um, uh, um, citizens. Well, because in... In many constituencies, um, or, or first of all, a, um, minorities are a much larger share of the Labour vote than they are of the electorate as a whole. So if the minorities are 10% of the electorate, they're probably more like half uh, of all Labour voters because they overwhelmingly give their vote to Labour. So they're a very important component for um, uh, uh, Labour. So Labour are getting their votes now, um, but if Labour neglect their interests and they're wooed away by other parties, they stand to lose a lot of votes, which they're currently getting. So my former student, Andrew Smith, who's the MP for East Oxford, he needs to hang on to his minority voters, because there are a lot of minority voters in East Oxford, and they vote for him. I'm sure he's very well aware of that, and he's very skillful at getting out their vote. But that, that's the issue. It's, it's the current distribution of the vote that makes it a risk uh, for, for Labour. Ah. Um, does anybody know how to do that? <laughs> Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll stay closer to the desk. Um, okay, should I move on? Um, so essentially now, this is what I'm going to try and talk about. Uh, what are the prospects of Conservatives and Lib Dems winning over uh, minority voters? Uh, in particular, what are the issues um, that minorities uh, care about? Uh, is there a distinct a distinctive uh, black or ethnic minority agenda? Um, or are some groups uh, like, and it's often said, the Indians are natural Tory voters? Uh, uh, are, are there a possible group that the Conservatives could appeal to? Um, and, and then following on that, is it just a matter of issues or, um, or are minorities essentially loyal uh, loyalists who will be the last to uh, desert 
labor? And in other words, how, um, how, how likely is it that uh, appeals might make a difference? So I'm going to talk um, about uh, data from our 2010 ethnic minority uh, election survey, um, which was uh, funded by the uh, Economic and Social Research Council. And our, um, we had the Electoral Commission as a partner. Uh, and uh, Gemma Rosenblatt uh, from the Electoral Commission was one of the co-authors. Um, and w this was a standalone survey, but it was, it was harmonized with the main British election survey, which, as Roger said, I used to direct uh, in the dim and distant past. Um, is um, most recently in 2010 was directed by David Sanders and colleagues, and, and he worked with us. And so half the questionnaire is identical uh, in, in the two surveys, so that for many issues, but not all, we can make exact comparisons between the minority voters and the white British. Um, but then the other half of the question is really picking up on uh, ethnic minority specific issues. So in, in many ways, it's a very general survey of uh, ethnic minorities in Britain, uh, their social relationships, uh, and so on. So it's not just uh, an election survey. Uh, and as far as we know, well, we, we know it's the, the largest and most comprehensive uh, and, in fact, most rigorous, because it's a proper probability sample, most rigorous ever in Britain. Uh, and I suspect it, it's um, actually the uh, largest and most comprehensive in the world. And there was a previous ethnic minority survey, which is much smaller and was just a boost to the main BS uh, back in 1997. So we've got some comparisons over time as well. Um, and that's sort of te some technical details about the data. I'll move on because I think I'm taking too long. Um, uh, the fieldwork, which I should have said, is carried out uh, by um, uh, uh, TNS BMRB, used to be the British Market Research Bureau, who did a wonderful job. Uh, we got a very good response rate in the current climate. We actually did better um, uh, than the main uh, BES. So it's a proper representative, high-quality survey. And that's the book, Critical Integration of Ethnic Minorities in Britain. And here is a picture of the book. Um, and that's um, me giving a copy to the Reverend Jesse Jackson when he came over recently on the occasion of the um, 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Uh, and he was uh, giving some uh, lectures and sort of campaigning. Um, and uh, I, I was invited to a, a, a function uh, with him and gave him a book. So I'm going to start now with the serious uh, research. Is there an ethnic minority agenda? And it's, it, it has been asserted by um, uh, Donnelly Studler, for example, but many other people, that there is no such thing as a distinct non-white political agenda. Non-whites care about the same issues um, uh, as the white majority. They're driven by the same concerns. Um, and when they do think about distinctive uh, ethnic issues, they give them quite low priority compared with uh, the, the mainstream issues they share. So it, this is really saying you don't need to worry. The things that bo bother minorities are the things that bother everybody else. And that's partly true. So one of the questions, which actually I think is the question that Donnelly Studler uh, drew on um, back in the early 80s, uh, we replicated, uh, asks, as far as you're concerned, what is the single most important issue facing the country? 
And indeed, the most important issue, and, and it's an open-ended question, people could say whatever they wanted, so they could express minority concerns if they wanted to, um, but they didn't. Uh, we then coded them into these uh, uh, categories. Um, and you can see that there are differences of emphasis, um, and particularly unemployment is more of a concern to ethnic minorities for very good reasons. It makes perfect sense. Um, uh, but the, the overall concern was state of the economy, and that seems to me entirely reasonable, because obviously minorities are affected by the economy and the recession at least as much as everybody else, um, uh, and probably uh, more so. So it, it makes perfect sense. Minorities live in the same country. They, they're faced by the same um, uh, uh, economic and political conditions. So, of course, they're responding to, to the same kinds of uh, factor. And if anything, you would expect them to be more affected uh, by the recession. And I thought I'd slip in here uh, a nice graph that um, my colleague Yao Jin Li uh, prepared, where he's looked at uh, male unemployment rates um, uh, going back to 1972. And you can see, particularly actually in the, the two uh, recessions um, of um, the uh, 80s and the early 90s, that you have what is called a hypercyclical uh, effect um, on uh, ethnic minorities. So the ethnic minority rate of employment, unemployment goes up even more when there's a recession, or it did in those two recessions. It's not quite so evident uh, in the most recent uh, recession, partly because minorities are, uh, are much more in the um, um, uh, London area. Almost half of minorities live in London. London was less hit than um, the uh, North was hit uh, by the recession in, in terms of unemployment. So, uh, Pakistani and Bangladeshi. No, it's not. No, it doesn't include Indian. Um, I suspect we thought the graph would look just too messy if we put in Indian as well. We've got the figures. Yes. In some respects, it makes perfect sense to uh, cluster the South Asian groups together, not for unemployment, um, where the Pakistani and Bangladeshi rate is, is considered to be worse than the Indian rate. Um, but it's on, on many other issues, um, great similarities. Um, but yes, basically the, the, the uh, blue diamonds are, are the, the white level. And you can see that throughout the whole period, um, ethnic minority rates of unemployment for men uh, are more or less double. And the, it's not getting any better. And uh, some figures um, that, again, we got Panorama to publicize recently, shows that around half of young black men are not in work, uh, want to be in work, and are not in work. Um, so the, and, uh, so the, 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 si yeah, the situation is, is worse for, for, for uh, uh, black men and is uh, twice as bad for young black men. So, so far, uh, we're agreeing with Donnelly Studler that there isn't a distinctive ethnic minority uh, agenda. Um, although 
I'm sure you noticed that the question asked, what are the most important issues facing the country, which of course is not the same as what are the most important issues facing you personally, or you and your and people like you. So it sort of leads you towards these um, shared uh, concerns anyway. Um, but also, th there's an important distinction that uh, David Butler uh, made. Um, he ran the very first of the election studies uh, back in 1964. And uh, he made a distinction between uh, performance issues and position issues. So performance issues are ones where there's general agreement on what the goals are, like getting out of the recession, and the arguments are really about means rather than goals. So who's got the best policies uh, for, for uh, dealing with the recession? But there's no disagreement on the objectives. And an awful lot of issues are really performance issues. And actually David Sanders and his team on the main BES have been arguing that um, it's really performance that has driven um, um, the major swings um, in, in the party's share of the vote uh, over the last um, quarter century. So there's one view which sees performance issues as key. And I think they are key to short-term electoral um, uh, swings. Um, but then David Butler uh, and Donald Stokes also talked about position issues, which tend to be more ideological issues where there isn't agreement on the ends, but there's sort of fundamental disagreement um, about um, what the goals of policy should be. And the, the distinction blurs a little bit, um, and it's not as straightforward uh, as that sort of simple binary distinction. But th there are quite a lot of issues where we do find ideological polarization. Um, and privatization and nationalization was a classic one through the 60s, 70s, and uh, 80s. And the views of the electorate tend to be pretty stable uh, on those issues. So you don't get huge swings from one election to another. You also tend to find that social groups are pretty stable. So on the whole, um, um, the uh, uh, working class were more in favor of nationalization. They're more in favor of redistribution. Um, uh, middle class, particularly more entrepreneurial um, or managerial sections of, of the middle class, much more in favor of the free market, privatization, and so on. So there are a whole set of issues where attitudes um, are so structured by social group membership and are pretty stable over time. So they don't explain uh, swings from one year to another, but they do account for, for why um, class is still important, why you can predict the, um, which party will, will win a constituency just by looking at the social class composition of that constituency, which you can still do. It's still the single best predictor. So the going to move then from the performance issues on where there's no great disagreement um, to uh, position issues. And so the question is, on these ideological issues, uh, do we find that there's more uh, disagreement? Okay, that's making the point. Uh, oh, sorry, I should have uh, taken this one earlier, which is, uh, yep, th um, this slide was um, intended to show that um, minorities do, in fact, respond to performance issues just like the rest of the electorate. Um, so that, and here I'm comparing results um, in 1997 from our survey uh, and results in 2010. And what you can see is that for 
um, all groups alike, there was a decline in um, support for labor. And that was largely driven, um, we show in, 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 in other research, by these performance issues. So that you know, among the white British, the um, labor um, share of the vote went down from 48% uh, to 31%. Uh, um, so that's gone down by 17 points. But then we can see um, among Indians, it went down by 19 points. Uh, Pakistani voters, it went down by more. Um, and that is partly because of uh, opposition to the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, uh, among the uh, black Caribbeans, it was 94% um, of, of those who voted uh, supported Labour in 1997. That's fallen again by 16 points. So, but it's still you know, a huge 78% uh, of, of black Caribbeans who turn out to vote who vote Labour. So we were seeing a kind of across-the-board swing. Everyone could see that Labour wasn't doing, hadn't made a very good, done a very good job. Actually, in 1997, everyone was really rather optimistic about Labour. Um, so perhaps the 1997 support for Labour was almost unnaturally high. Um, and now I suspect it's, un it, or it's in 2010, it was unnaturally low. But it, the point is that performance issues were driving uh, um, pretty uniform falls in support. So we're seeing the same um, disillusionment with Labour um, among minorities as among the white British. But, and the, the key point, uh, is that in 2010, you get the same kind of gap between the parties that you had in 1997. There's been no convergence over that period um, between minorities and the majority. So the, the, the gap is staying the same. So that's why I argue that we've got to look for these other factors, which could be the ideological issues, which account for this long-term, this stable um, uh, gap in support. And in fact, the, um, the ethnic minority um, cleavage, uh, put it that way, um, uh, is the single strongest cleavage, um, social cleavage in the electorate. So it's much stronger. Th this gap we're seeing here between the white British and ethnic minorities, um, which is, if we just, so f 40 point, a 40 point gap is much bigger than the social class gap, which is only around 20 points, um, or the gap between um, council house uh, tenants and owner occupiers, all the other social cleavages between the highly educated uh, and the less educated are much smaller. This is sort of by far the, the most powerful, uh, in, in terms of the, the uh, gaps, mo most powerful cleavage, and it's not declining. Whereas some of the other gaps, like the class gap, have declined quite dramatically uh, over the last 25 years. So it, it's stable, and it, it, it's by far the biggest uh, gap. Okay, so. What about then these uh, other um, uh, sort of uh, ideological dimensions? Do we find that minorities take up a distinctive point of view? And you might have expected, and if you looked at the American research on African Americans, you would find some quite big differences, particularly on the very first issue. Um, uh, this is uh, spend government spending on health and social services, 
elsewhere in America, you would find that African Americans are much more uh, sort of left um, 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 on, on, on those issues than um, are um, uh, white Americans. What you're seeing here is the reverse, that actually on government spending, minorities are more conservative than the average white British. So they, they are not adopting, um, uh, if you like, working class or labor views on issues like government spending. It, it's not, but we, 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 we've done the analysis, uh, uh, multivariate analyses, checking for things like, like age and social class. Uh, health and social services, um, which is a, a question that um, we've asked more or less throughout the election series. And I'm going to come on in a moment to sort of differences between groups, uh, and there are some smallish differences. Um, but um, this has been found by other researchers using this question. And I looked, because I didn't quite believe it at first, and I thought, well, is this a bit of a fluke? Um, I looked at a range of other uh, questions in the survey uh, on what we might think of as the left-right economic dimension, things like, like redistribution. Um, and I, this was the most dramatic in terms of minorities being to the right of the average voter. On the other issues, there was no difference. So there's certainly no evidence that in Britain, minorities are um, uh, adopting left-wing positions on the, these classic uh, uh, left-right um, um, uh, issues. Um, and in, in the book, we do try to look at why this might be the case. And, and um, uh, other researchers have, have looked at this and found the same thing. And they've got different arguments, which I could go into. Um, and then on a number of other issues, the, the, the issue of protecting the innocent uh, is, is just a shorthand for uh, a question on uh, about uh, crime. Uh, is it more important to cut crime or to protect the rights of, of, of innocent people? Um, and minorities here were more progressive because minorities uh, suffer disproportionately from stop and search um, and, 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 and police activity of that sort. And there's a big story there. This is in the book. Um, biggest gap was on detention without trial, um, uh, and quite large gaps. Not surprisingly, you'll find that uh, minorities are more uh, favorable to uh, uh, immigration, uh, more generous in their uh, uh, attitudes to asylum seekers um, that than, than the white British. Um, but the differences are not huge. Um, and on things like the war in Afghanistan, um, the, um, it's actually the reverse of what you might have expected. So again, this is an issue where in some ways the um, minorities are more in tune uh, with, with uh, intervention than the white British. So on these issues, um, yeah, they, they vary, but it, this doesn't look like a consistent uh, ethnic agenda either. Um, um, and oh yes, and there are also quite substantial differences between minorities. So there's no, there's no consistent minority pattern. The average isn't that different. Um, um, but as we can see from, from this slide, there's, there's 
uh, quite major differences between different minority groups. Um, and actually, you know, if we take the black Africans on um, uh, asylum, um, they are much the most generous. But that's partly because many black Africans, particularly those, um, the growing numbers from uh, Somalia and, and from the Congo and Zimbabwe, did themselves come as refugees or they have friends and family who came as refugees. So if, as we, as we really should, we distinguish within this black African group between, say, um, uh, um, yeah, uh, Somalis and um, uh, people who came from the Congo, uh, as opposed to people who came from, um, probably came earlier from Nigeria and um, uh, Ghana, we'd find quite large differences within the black African group too. Um, also, in many cases, we, we've, dis we've tried to differentiate within the Indian group between Sikhs and Muslims and, and Hindus and Christians. Um, and there are a few quite interesting differences within the Indian group. So all, all these groups are themselves internally diverse. Um, or perhaps apart from the Bangladeshi group, which is the most um, ho uh, homogeneous. Okay, so no sign of a shared ethnic minority agenda. Um, and the other point which I, th I think is quite uh, important is that even though where there are differences, there are really just differences in the direction of support, uh, in, in the strength of support, not in the direction. So it's not that uh, minorities are on one side of, of the argument on, uh, say, protecting the rights of the accused, um, and on, on the opposite side from the white British. Both minorities and the white British are heavily in favor of um, emphasizing cutting crime. So again, it's a bit like the uh, performance issues. Everyone is pretty well agreed that crime is a bad thing and um, um, every effort should be made to cut crime. So the, 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 in many ways, minority attitudes go with the grain of general British attitudes uh, on these issues. They're not on opposite sides of, um, of the argument. And, and we find that uh, throughout. So, um, yeah, th 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 there's no uh, polarization. So th th there isn't a distinctive uh, ethnic uh, agenda on these issues. And then there are two sorts of sort of ethnic specific issues uh, on which you, m you might get um, uh, uh, ma more major differences between minorities and the white British. Um, a redress uh, for uh, discrimination is uh, one. Um, and that might potentially unite all minorities. And, and then uh, claims preservation of cultural praxis, which is sort of the heart of debates about multiculturalism. And we might expect those to be ethnic specific. And we didn't have as much as we should have done on, on the ethnic specific. Um, and uh, we got a, a question on um, uh, schools allowing traditional dress, which is uh, fairly uh, well, it was a, an attempt to get at what is a, a currently topical uh, issue. Um, and we've also got the questions on, on language teaching and, and separate schools. And we get pretty well the same picture that Pakistan, that the, the Muslim groups in particular, um, are, are uh, still exercised uh, by uh, issues uh, of this sort. Um, Sikhs weren't, uh, Sikhs were not at all bothered. Uh, about being allowed to wear traditional dress. 
which I suspect is because they won those battles uh, 20 or 30 years ago, uh, particularly over the right to wear the turban, um, which I think goes back a very long way. Um, so in a sense, those are issues that are sorted. There's now no argument, really, uh, 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 for uh, Sikhs. Um, so again, we, and, and some of the you know, groups, Black Caribbean, Black African, um, have views very, very similar to the white British views. I was looking for it, and I can't remember it on this one. Maybe, ah. I think on some of these issues, um, no, I think we can't have asked it on this. I think it may have been on one of the other ones, separate schooling, I think we did ask. And, and essentially, uh, on, on a great deal of, of things, you find Black Caribbean look pretty, and, and the mixed group look very close to the white British. Um, I think I'd have put it in if we had it here. No, no. Um, so finally, pull the rabbit out of the hat. Uh, there is one issue, uh, which is redress for discrimination, where there are um, major black-white differences, um, where the, all the minorities are basically united on a shared uh, issue, um, and where they're in the opposite direction, on the so other side, other end of the spectrum from the uh, white British. Um, and so essentially, it, it's an issue of um, uh, yeah, overcoming inequalities of opportunities that, that face minorities in contemporary Britain. We actually asked another question on the, because it's, it's a very uh, easy question to agree with, and you're almost bound to say, yes, we want to have better opportunities. Um, we asked another question on uh, affirmative action policies. Um, and again, we found that um, the minorities were all had very similar views. And there was, uh, again, they were much less positive about affirmative action. Um, uh, minorities really don't want special treatment. Minorities want the same treatment as the white British get. So there wasn't huge minority support for affirmative action. It was around 25%. But there was virtually zero support among the white British. So on, on most issues, you'll find that ethnic minorities have at least some um, white British uh, allies. So on things like detention without trial, most white British don't like it. But some highly educated people are also opposed to it. Guardian newspaper write things about detention without trial. So there are white allies for most ethnic minority concerns. There are virtually no white allies uh, for um, uh, redress of discrimination, which I think is rather shameful for the white British. And this isn't just, so if you like, rhetoric. This reflects the reality of contemporary British society. Um, so. Uh, the recent field experiment, um, which I <laughs> actually had a hand in, uh, persuading the DWP to fund, because um, they asked me if I would um, uh, statistically show how much of a problem discrimination was, and I said, I can't show it from statistics, you better go and do a field experiment. So that he went and did an actual field experiment where uh, applications were sent out to actual vacancies, and the applications were matched, 
so that the, the candidates, the applicants, had exactly the same credentials, same age, same citizenship, just one had an ethnic minority name and one had a white name. And so we matched applications to real firms, and uh, we found that um, basically the, the ethnic minorities had to make twice as many applications as a white British applicant to get an equally positive response, which was usually, because these were done by post, it was you know, whether you were called back for uh, an interview or, or um, uh, invited to submit a CV or, and so on. So a positive response, um, the, the minority had to make twice as many. And I recently did a review for OECD uh, of uh, field experiments around the world. It's repeated in every single field experiment bar one um, uh, in the Western world has shown much the same field, uh, 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 experimental evidence for, um, for discrimination against minority candidates, often of a rather similar magnitude. Um, the, the field experiments would have been comparing distinctive white British names. No, no. Um, we haven't had any experiments in Britain using Polish names. There's a very interesting recent study in Ireland, actually by a former Oxford uh, sociology uh, graduate student, um, which interestingly showed even bigger discrimination uh, against uh, non-whites, but also showed uh, sub um, quite substantial discrimination against people with German names. Now, we didn't really understand that result, but there certainly is evidence of, uh, yes, of a more general uh, xenophobia uh, in, in, in countries that, that have uh, apply these field tests to, to white groups. Um, of course, whether people actually know the difference between a German name and a Polish name is another matter. Just as I suspect most white British people don't, can't recognize um, a Muslim name from a Hindu name. Um, so we, we shouldn't uh, assume that it really means Germans are discriminated against. Yes, I did say that. I did say that. Yes, I thought I ought to be honest. And um, it's a study by um, uh, Mike Noon, who I think is at London Business School. Um, but it was a study um, of, uh, well, they sent their applications to the top 100 firms. Um, and so these were really, uh, and I think they were for high-tech positions, sort of te technical uh, yeah, uh, technical um, uh, occupations in, in very large businesses. Uh, and that didn't find any evidence of discrimination. And other research has supported the idea that discrimination is uh, greater in sort of small and medium-sized en uh, enterprises, and that the largest enterprises 
at least at this stage of the application um, process, which is only the first stage, maybe have lower levels of discrimination, probably because they've got more formalized uh, HR processes. So it doesn't necessarily prove that they don't discriminate. They just don't discriminate at that stage. We've also found in, 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 in several studies that there's much more discrimination in the private sector than in the public sector. And the, the, the British study I was referring to uh, by Martin Wood and others um, actually found no evidence of discrimination at this stage of the process in the public sector. Um, yeah, and then I've done a huge amount of work uh, on ethnic penalties, and this shows a very similar uh, picture of, of ethnic disadvantage. So essentially, we sort of st uh, statistically control for uh, age and education and things like that. But of course, we can't control for all the other things, which is why you, you which might be relevant to the job, which is why you need the field experiments. But both the field experiments and the statistical analysis come up with um, uh, evidence of inequality of opportunity that faces all minorities alike. It faces highly educated minorities and not just uh, poorly uh, educated ones. Um, the, the statistical analysis suggests it's greater against the black groups. Oh, sorry, it, it's a term I coined which really says um, it's the disadvantage that minorities suffer in competition with similar uh, members of the majority group. So rather than just, whereas that um, graph I showed you from Yao Jin Li just looks at the overall unemployment rate. It ignores the fact that minorities may be less educated um, and, or, or maybe younger, have a younger age profile. Um, and so some of the uh, unemployment gap can be explained by age and education whereas the ethnic penalty tries to take all those things into account and say, if you compare minorities with comparable, as far as we can make, you know, so we, 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 yeah, we, can, we, we statistically take account of all the other factors we can measure which are predictive of unemployment and say, comparing like with like, there is still a disadvantage. And we call that an ethnic penalty because it may not be just due to discrimination. It may be lack of knowledge, lack of social networks, so there could be a range of other factors. Um, so I'm sorry, that's a long digression, but it's, as you see, it's something I've both done a lot of research on and, and, and uh, feel strongly about. Um, the, 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 the previous um, uh, table, I, I, I want to argue, isn't just sort of special pleading. It, it reflects the reality that there isn't equality of opportunity for uh, ethnic minorities in Britain, or indeed anywhere uh, else in the Western world. Um, even those nice Scandinavian countries have almost exactly the same levels of discrimination and ethnic penalties as we do. Yes, there have been some studies on India looking at discrimination against caste. Uh, and they've got some very interesting results. But you, you're wondering whether it the, might be reversed. Yeah, white yeah, I think you're trying to do a, a, a white I think you might also find some, some formal legal barriers to certain kinds of jobs. Um, but you're, you're, you're right. This is very much Western world, and the story would be, could be very different 
um, in India, Malaysia, has a, a South Africa. Very well, South Africa. Mm. Anyway, don't 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 get me going on South Africa. Uh, I think it might be in here. I, 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 I'll have a look. And if it's not in there, it's something we can easily check because we, we've got the data. And I d I've done so many analyses of so many things, I just cannot remember them all. That 20%, no, that's not nobody. Yeah, No, it's the affirmative action where it was virtually nobody. It was you know, me and a handful of other people. But yeah. Well, this is sort of the next slide, um, which is that uh, Labour does at least have a record of tackling these things. And you're quite right. Um, um, uh, London, uh, London in particular, and actually Transport for London, um, had a very interesting, or still has, uh, a, a, a very interesting um, set of policies for using procurement um, to... Uh, insist that um, contractors who are, who are bidding for uh, work um, uh, monitor the composition of their workforce uh, and agree on action plans to address it. And that was very much modeled on the uh, American uh, um, Federal Contractor Compliance Program. We also have an even more extensive program in Northern Ireland. Um, 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 and yes, we made several efforts to get the government, and we were making some progress with the last Labour government to adopt that kind of federal contractor uh, program. Um, even Labour weren't terribly keen, but they didn't. They felt too embarrassed to say no outright. Uh, and then it just um, our, our efforts on that front just um, completely ground to a halt um, with the with the coalition. So. Yeah, in, in the book, we, we, we briefly refer to uh, the record. Uh, as you can see, uh, every single bit of legislation um, trying to deal with uh, redress for discrimination has been passed by a Labour government. Well, I have to say, in fairness to Conservatives, they've never repealed any of the legislation, although they did water down quite substantially the Equality Act, and particularly those aspects of the Equality Act uh, that uh, sort of at least encourage use of government procurement um, and, and that particular bit, uh, uh, um, along with some other bits on, on uh, social class, um, uh, were rapidly removed um, uh, by the coalition government. So. You are not alone in thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that's right. 
And I don't know how conscious it was, but I, I suspect it has had the effect of diluting um, the, the emphasis on equality. And the, the current head of the EHRC, I think, has no interest in, in, in ethnic minority issues at all. Um, conservative record, well, I think that is clear. These, so we, again, to be fair to the conservatives, although they have passed a series of restrictive uh, measures uh, on immigration, They've never passed any, any, anything positive on redress for discrimination, but actually Labour has also passed restrictive legislation on, on uh, immigration. But so the, the only things the Conservatives have done have been ones uh, like uh, this series of uh, acts. So in a sense, the story of the book is that it's not surprising minorities vote Labour or, or support Labour because Labour has a long history um, of actually trying to do something. And so there are other examples like Ken Livingstone and, and uh, Transport for London where local councils, which have often been more energetic than the central government, um, have actually tried to um, uh, uh, pursue uh, ethnic minority concerns. Although, um, really following up on the Equality Act point, um, possibly Labour backsliding in 2010. So we looked at all the uh, mani manifesto commitments on these issues by all the parties. We went back to 1974, because uh, really the, it wasn't a major, you know, the, 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 the proportion was relatively small before then. Um, and so in, in, in 2010, um, there's no explicit mention by Labour in its manifesto um, on um, attacking racial discrimination. There's never any mention of minorities. And again, one felt, as with the EHRC, um, that it, the, the emphasis, you know, fine words on discrimination and promoting equality, but the examples are much more on disabled people. And I've also done some work on disabled, and, and the, the penalties suffered by disabled people are even larger, I have to say, those experienced by minorities. So quite right to be focused on uh, uh, disabled, but it does diffuse the attention uh, given to um, uh, ethnic minorities. Okay, so moving on, and I th think I've probably used up my time. Um, then moving on to sort of more practical issues, how um, how loyal are minorities to Labour? What are the possibilities for other parties to, if you like, woo um, minority voters away from Labour? So coming back to the theme I started with, uh, are there opportunities for the other parties? Um, and so we looked at um, patterns of abstention and defection uh, in 2010. Actually, strictly speaking, this table, as you'll see if you look at the book, uh, take sort of people who said that they identified or supported Labour, and then we looked at whether they actually voted Labour um, or abstained, uh, didn't turn out to vote, or whether they switched to another party. So we're just comparing sort of Labour supporters, so we're comparing like with like, um, and there's a clear pattern, which as we saw in the earlier table, minorities were just as likely to abandon Labour as the white British. So minorities overall, 53% uh, uh, supported, uh, turned out for Labour, compared actually slightly lower than the white British, 
there's a big difference in sort of, in a way, the, the nature of the departure from labor. So minorities much more likely to abstain or not to register, which we included as sort of one element of uh, abstention, much less likely to defect to one of the other parties. So, so although the overall uh, level of sort of continued support for labor uh, was much the same, um, the patterns of sort of movement were very different. And actually, we, we've done the same kind of analysis um, uh, using uh, uh, recall of, of vote. We then looked at um, what was the, the, main, uh, the, the main predictors, and, and we looked at a whole range of issues like whether they liked Cameron and whether they liked uh, Gordon Brown and, and so on. And, and some of those were important. So, so likings for the um, uh, party leaders did affect patterns of, uh, of defection and abstention, and they affected them much the same way among minorities as among the white British. So again, it's a similar story. Um, that a lot of these sort of performance type issues work in the same way. But we also had some remarkable results on canvassing. Um, and we found that not being canvassed was the perhaps, I think, almost the strongest predictor of minorities not turning out to vote. Um, so the people who were canvassed were much more likely to turn out to vote. And I should say here that that our measure of turning out to vote was based not on what people told us, so whether they were canvassed is what they told us, but the evidence of not turning out to vote was derived independently by us going and checking the electoral registers to see whether their names had been uh, crossed off the list. So there's sort of independent evidence, which is um, much, ha much harder um, to sort of read that kind of independent evidence. So powerful effect for not canvassed um, you're uh, less likely to turn out uh, among minorities. Works to some extent for the white British too. And being canvassed by a party other than Labour was a, um, also a powerful predictor of defection. But surprise, surprise, the parties didn't bother with minority voters. So 71% of our minority voters said they were not contacted by any party. Um, and um, so if you look at the ratios, and yeah, they were more likely to be contacted by Labour um, than were the sort of the, the, the white British. So um, yes, the ratio of being contacted by Labour to being contacted by Conservatives is, is, is skewed in the minority case towards Labour. It's pretty 50-50 among the white British. Basically, the story is that um, all the parties, including Labour, are taking minorities for granted, not bothering to go out and canvass for minority votes. Um, even the Greens, who you would have thought might have made uh, uh, some inroads. Not surprising that UKIP uh, um, uh, didn't. Um, and, the, the, and this is sort of um, independent research that um, the parties have more and more sort of targeted their efforts. So it is part of the professionalization of, of politics, the movement uh, to, towards the center ground, that parties are now much more heavily focusing on marginal constituencies and swing voters. Um, and they are not putting the same effort, partly I suspect because they haven't got the same membership numbers 
to do the canvassing um, on uh, safe seats. So in, in a sense, this isn't perhaps deliberate neglect of minorities. It's just sort of, if you like, collateral damage. If you don't live in a marginal constituency, um, then you won't uh, get canvassed. Um, and in the past, um, which have been most true perhaps 10 years ago, minorities were uh, disproportionately resident in safe labor seats. So in a sense, they were votes that labor could take for granted. They're going to win the seat anyway. Um, and so uh, the, the, the labor party didn't need uh, to bother because they're going to win anyway uh, in, in those safe inner city seats. And uh, conservatives weren't going to waste their time um, canvassing um, in, in those seats uh, either. But that is now changing the distribution of minorities. And this is what takes us back to the Operation Black Vote argument, that it's not just that the size of the minority population is growing, but the geographical distribution of the minority population is changing. Um, and so analysis by my colleagues at Manchester of the uh, 2011 census shows a major, if you like, residential spread or diffusion of minorities away from inner cities out towards um, the uh, suburbs um, and essentially towards more marginal constituencies. So that is changing. Uh, in a sense, the parties need to wake up to that. That is not just the size. Minorities are no longer concentrated in, um, in, in, in safe uh, labor seats. Um, yes, it's something I ought to look, I've been meaning to look at more, and some of it certainly is. Um, um, although it's not just the successful minorities that have been moving out. So you, you think of Indians. Um, um, but the um, black Caribbeans in Britain have always been less geographically concentrated than um, the South Asian uh, groups. Um, and much, much less concentrated than African Americans are in America. Um, and black Caribbeans are also spreading at the, uh, um, so the, the rate of diffusion, geographical diffusion, is pretty similar uh, among all the groups. Not, of course, within all the groups, there is some uh, economic uh, advance. That's also true. Because um, one of the other stories, on which I've just finished another book, is about ethnic minority education. Uh, and one of the headlines there um, is that um, uh, minorities now have higher rates of staying on at school than the white British and have higher rates of going to university. So that, um, yes, there, there, there are, in some respects, major signs of advance. Um, but it's very sort of partial, the, the uh, advance. Yes?
you're, you're, you're quite right. We do have that. We, we do look at that briefly in the book. We've got another paper I'll, that's not yet published that I'll briefly talk about on the effect of candidates. But you're, you're absolutely right. There have been major changes in the pattern of candidates. I I do comment on that as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, yes, the book about ethnic minorities is not about Muslim. Yes, 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 you're quite right. Can I just race on then to both to that point, the Bradford point, West Bradford and um, uh, candidates. Um, It is. Yes. Yes. Not to elite universities like this one. Um, but, yeah. Um, and we also find, and actually I was in Barcelona yesterday examining a doctorate um, exactly on this topic, using British data, uh, curiously, not Spanish data, um, showing that if you take... Um, young people age 16 with similar grades, the ethnic minorities have much higher rates of staying on to take A-levels than the white British. Miles Houston, um, with whom I'm doing another project. <laughs> um, but he, he's done lots of work uh, on uh, contact uh, between, um, and he, he particularly worked on contact between Protestants and Catholics in, in Northern Ireland. Um, um, and we're also designing some new work with, with a much more general uh, uh, European-wide study of uh, uh, contact and its effect on attitudes. Uh, but essentially, yes, uh, Miles' work shows that, um, uh, con and, and, and that of many social psychologists, shows that uh, contact uh, um, tends to uh, have major effects in, in reducing uh, prejudice. Um, and um, that, uh, they, it's not surprising that you find that, that people who have close friends who are from a, a different uh, ethnic community uh, are, are more positive. But there's also now evidence that even just brief uh, uh, contacts, um, you know, in the corner shop or, or the pub and so on, um, can also have sort of smaller but, but uh, beneficial effects. So that one of our arguments would be that as 
um, as the size of the minority population grows, and as you've got a spread of minorities away from these uh, inner city areas, so contact is going to increase. And so actually we're very positive about long-term trends in, in uh, prejudice. And uh, Rob Ford's work, another former student of ours, um, uh, has uh, sh shown a major decline in prejudice um, uh, over the last 30 years, this is using British Social Attitudes data, and, but it, it, it has a generational character. So it's younger people who are the ones who've been to school with minorities or to university with minorities uh, who are much more, uh, uh, much less likely to express a whole range of prejudice attitudes. And of course, I mean, perhaps, the, perhaps the hardest evidence is, is the evidence on uh, intermarriage, um, which, which is really sort of robust. It's, it's not just you know, um, uh, people saying things because they think it's politically correct. So the, 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 the hard evidence on intermarriage shows that particularly for the second generation born or at least educated in, uh, in, in Britain, for all groups alike, including the Muslim groups, um, the, um, the, 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 there's been a, a generational increase in intermarriage. Uh, I, I once wrote a piece saying that the most multicultural policy that ever been introduced was actually Cameron's allowing uh, the uh, free schools, because that essentially was by the back door uh, allowing minorities to, um, if you like, to, to remain within the cohesive communities that, that um, uh, multi opponents of multiculturalism so dislike. I must come back to no, what's I going to come back to? I'm coming back to Steve Fisher's work on mi minority candidates. Um, there have been um, lots of work on the, the effect of candidates uh, on uh, uh, um, voting, particularly in America. Um, and in Britain, the effects seem quite small. And your, your two, two percentage points um, sounds about right um, as a kind of overall average figure, um, and um, I think there's one paper that shows that Steve Fisher, who worked um, as a member of, of this team, has a paper under review at the moment, where um, he found that there wasn't a, any general minority effect, um, but he, he did find an effect of having a Muslim candidate. Um, but there th that was only a, a kind of a penalty among people who, in other parts of the questionnaire, had expressed prejudiced attitudes towards minorities. So it's not a kind of a universal phenomenon. So thinking about our young uh, um, um, uh, white British people who've got friends from ethnic minorities, um, there's no evidence that they are swayed by um, having a, a Muslim candidate. So again, it's very much a story of the older generations um, who have more prejudiced attitudes, they, you know, they're, they're among those voters who are UKIP-leaning voters, uh, there is a uh, potential penalty for fielding a Muslim candidate.
Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I. 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 I don't. I'm not sure they do know, and um, this was simply, um, yeah, a statistical exercise based on the characteristics of the candidates. Um, and yes, and essentially, I, I think what it means is there's quite a lot of noise. And so comparing Muslim with non-Muslim candidates, there's an effect. Um, but uh, yeah, you'd prob I suspect you're right. And if one was able to look at it a bit differently, um, um, then it, it would be people, yeah, candidates who look as though they might be Muslim in some ways. Um, and so this is probably too strict a definition. And probably the effect is, is, is bigger. Than, than, than Steve's work. But the interesting thing was that it, it, it seemed pretty compelling that the effect was restricted to people who had ex um, um, prejudiced views on other issues. Um, so it, it's not a general uh, effect, which should be encouraging to uh, the parties. Mixed race is a mixed race groups is a very and they're the fastest growing of all these uh, groups. Um, it's a very fuzzy group. I think I better move on rapidly because I haven't talked about uh, George Galloway yet. I must come to a close, mustn't I? Um, um, okay, so I think that's. I think I hope I said enough there. I'm sure I do mention Bradford somewhere. Um, so essentially, the, uh, I'm here addressing the, the kind of points that people have been raising about sort of the white backlash, which is why we're talking about candidates. And that's all. And it's not just about candidates. It's also about if you put forward policies that seem to be uh, uh, assisting minorities. Um, then I think parties don't do it because they're frightened of the white backlash. And to some extent, I think there's a, a kind of a trade-off. I, I, I don't want to say there isn't any white backlash, because well, the, the evidence we just reviewed suggests there might be. Um, but the point is that the, the balance now of sort of gains and losses is shifting because the white backlash is, is, is declining because it is a declining share of the electorate of the, the potential white backlashes, um, whereas the minorities that you're putting off are growing um, uh, proportion of the electorate. So the white backlash argument ought to be less and less powerful. It certainly shouldn't be bothering Labour or the Lib Dems. I can see why if you are a conservative strategist worried about UKIP, then you would be concerned uh, by this. I, mean, the, I, I, you know, I, I can't say that it's irrational of the conservatives because the UKIP, potential UKIP voters, are precisely the ones one suspects. They're old, because we know they're older, um, and they're probably from the generations that are more prejudiced, and of course they, they, they have views on uh, um, uh, uh, immigration um, that suggest 
they, that there might be prejudice. I no I, I I certainly haven't looked at that. Um, I'm aware that it's something one can't neglect after the 2011 census, and we ought to look at it um, uh, uh, at the next general uh, election. And my suspicion is that an awful lot of them won't be eligible to vote. And that my suspicion also, uh, well, we do know from evidence Christian Dustman has collected that there's a much higher rate of return migration on the part of the uh, East European groups in particular, whereas the, the established minorities that we're talking about have very low rates of return migration. And there's some, but it's sort of 10% rather than 50%. Um, and I, I suspect that for an awful lot of East Europeans, there is no benefit in taking out citizenship. Um, if you because you, they need citizenship to vote in a general election. They can vote in European and local elections as EU citizens, but in general elections they can't. So, Irish, sir, yes, yes, you're quite right. You're quite right. Yes, yes, we do say that. We do mention that in a footnote in the book. Um, so yes, I, I, I end up coming back to uh, Bradford West um, that uh, I th obviously I'm, I'm partly being political here, so when I give these talks uh, in, in London, um, I'm emphasizing that labor cannot take it for granted. Minorities in many ways show, you know, particularly on say those performance issues, show that they're just as likely to defect um, um, or just as likely to, to abandon Labour as are the white British. You cannot take minority votes for granted. We're clear about that. Clear from Bradford West and indeed from uh, several other successes. It's not just Bradford West. Uh, very large inroads made by the Respect Party who campaigned for Muslim votes. They didn't campaign actually on these issues of equality of opportunity, um, partly because of, of the strong sort of socialist workers element which doesn't believe in race but believes in class. So there's a very special, sort of limited appeal of, of respect. Um, uh, and yet, all the same, they, they did incredibly well, but they made vigorous efforts. They actually took minorities seriously, which is what Labour uh, needs to do to hold on, because we know that Labour didn't hold on to their working class voters. Um, so, yeah. To uh, conclude, little sign of parties actually joining the battle. So there ought to be a battle. There are issues um, um, of quality of opportunity, Britain living up to its, uh, uh, its own rhetoric and its own liberal uh, ideals. There are long, medium-term and long-term uh, reasons why the Conservatives would be very foolish, just like the Republicans in America, to ignore the growing minority vote. They'd also be very foolish to assume that minorities will automatically, um, as they become more successful, shift over to the, um, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to move uh, in a right direction, uh, uh, rightwards, even though the attitudes that we looked at on um, uh, government spending look conservative, actually at, uh, issues, specific issues like that, play rather little role 
It's much more the overall impression of the parties, the overall vision, and the, the Conservatives still appear partly because of uh, the, the, the steady drip of things like uh, advertising uh, to illegal immigrants to go home as a steady drip of they are not for us. Um, so I think they're long-term long -term, uh, issues which people like Ashworth and the Conservative Party are very well aware of, but they're long-term ones. In the short term, we think, yeah, maybe a maximum percentage point difference at each election. Um, now, that, that can turn into sort of 10 seats, which for the last election might have made the difference between an overall majority and not. So it's not trivial, um, but compared with the, the, the swing due to performance type issues or the swing that might arise if, if UKIP do well, a one, percent, one percentage point change is small. And because the other swings are more like four or five percent. So that um, I think short-term strategy means the Conservatives won't do anything, but there's a huge opportunity uh, for the uh, Lib Dems uh, because they're not in danger of the backlash. Um, many of the Lib Dem seats already have substantial ethnic minority uh, electorates. I cannot understand why they are not uh, pursuing uh, the ethnic minority vote much more uh, energetically, although I suspect they are thinking about it quite hard at the moment. And so I thought I'd end up with uh, Martin Luther King's uh, speech, and my point is simply to make that we haven't realized the dream even in Britain, that the Britain is still a country where there is inequality of opportunity, there is little sign, uh, certainly from the labor market, that the inequalities of opportunity have substantially declined over the last 50 years since that speech was made. So I, we tend to think, partly because attitudes have changed, we tend to think that somehow it's not the problem it once was. But maybe it's, it's that you know, the rhetoric has changed, um, but the reality, at least in the labor market, that unemployment differential, double the ethnic minority unemployment rate of the white British rate, that has shown no sign whatsoever of changing, uh, certainly over the 40 years that we have been monitoring it. So I will stop there. Thank you very much. <laughs>